Good morning. I'll be reading this morning from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 1 through 14. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This is the word of God. 2020 has been quite a year, friends, hasn't it? Unfortunately, I heard that. (laughs) I understand why you would say that. It's been quite a year. And in case you're wondering how much of 2020 is left, we have just over 10 and a half weeks to go. So I'll let you decide if that's good news or not. But, you know, I was just thinking back on this, this year. And it's only October, you know, it seems a little early to do that. But, you know, from the the coronavirus outbreak in March, right, uh, to the spotlight on racial injustice in June, uh, to the bitter political battles this fall, I mean, you you just kind of look at that and say, this has been a year marked by unrest and disruption on every side in all kinds of ways. And, And those are just the common factors in our broader culture, you know. I'm sure you could add to that list your your own personal troubles. I think that responses to a year like 2020 vary quite a bit. So some people give rein to what appears to me a a bitter cynicism. uh, Ranting about the, the dumpster fire, so to speak, that is the last 10 months. Uh, Some look for a silver lining. Maybe you've encountered this where, you know, the focus is on, can we just focus on positive stories, you know, of of families or communities that are are coming together or caring for one another. I think other people, maybe you're among this group, just close their eyes. You know, enough news already. Click, put your head down and try to just keep putting one foot in front of the other, hoping that 2021 brings more peace and stability than 2020 did. 
But no matter what group you're in, I think Psalm 4 verse 6 captures a common refrain. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Friends, Christianity commends a very different sort of wisdom than everything that I just described. Christianity, the word of God, tells us to not respond to 2020 with pessimism, optimism, or indifference. And some of you are thinking, well, what's left? <laughs> well, listen, okay? Because the word of God urges us to do two things instead of those three. First, to acknowledge the spiritual lesson that suffering affords. What's that? The people and possessions and pleasures of this life will never, ever truly satisfy your soul. Not in 2020, not in 21, not in any year to come. They are created things. They're not the creator. And and until our creator returns to make all things new, this whole place remains what? Corrupted by the curse of sin, which should tell us what? That in every year of our existence in a fallen world, there will be plenty of things that disappoint us. That's helpful, right? It's good when we see that in God's word because it reminds us, oh yeah, what the Bible says about my world lines up with what I see in my world. But here's the second response. Don't just acknowledge the spiritual lesson suffering affords. Embrace the spiritual opportunity suffering provides. What's that? Well, quite simply, and and what we're going to see this morning in John 4, look to Jesus, not your material circumstances, to satisfy your soul. Habakkuk 3 verse 17, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines... The produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Though my candidate not be elected and the vaccine I want not yet be produced. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Listen friend, if 2020 causes you to do that. This year could be the very best year of your life. Think about that. All that's going on around you. If it causes you to do that, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. It could be the best thing that ever happened to you. And I say that because of what King David goes on to say in Psalm 4, verse 7. Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and new wine abound. That's his testimony. But you know, experiencing that kind of joy, that kind of satisfaction of soul, that that doesn't happen automatically, does it? That doesn't just kind of hit you up the side of the face in the morning just because your alarm went off. You know, that, that kind of joy, satisfaction of soul, that, that's the fruit of a spiritual process, friend. 
of a relational encounter with Jesus. It's what the Samaritan woman and her countrymen experience in John 4. It's what Jesus' disciples experience in John 4. And, and here's the good news for us. It's still what Jesus is in the business of doing in the hearts and lives of his people today. Here, here's the point of this whole chapter as I see it. No matter who you are or what you've done, Jesus is eager to satisfy your soul with the joy of worshiping the Father in the power of the Spirit. Yes, that's a mouthful. But there are also 42, 43 verses in this section, and we're going to probably take three weeks to work through it. And we'll see if I can limit myself to that. Because I want us to look really closely, friends, at at the Samaritan woman's experience here, at at Jesus' disciples' experience, their, their encounter with God. Everybody's having encounters with Jesus in here, and in a particular way, the spiritual fruit that comes from these encounters. So at every step along the way, and we're gonna break this down into scenes, some this week, some next week, some a third week if necessary. We, we need to understand what Jesus did, why he did it, and the, the corresponding question that his actions should compel us to answer. Okay, so let's dive in. Scene one, Jesus takes initiative. Jesus takes initiative. Think of this as a a play, a drama, though it's a real story, right? Broken down into scenes. Scene one, Jesus takes initiative. Here's the question that this scene leaves us with. Will you embrace the Savior who shatters social boundaries? Okay, look at verse one. If you're not familiar with this story, it, it finds Jesus in the Judean countryside where his disciples are baptizing. And he soon learns that, that his ministry had, had begun to receive some, uh, let's just say, undesirable attention from the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders of the day. And, and Jesus is not ready at all yet to be crucified. His hour has not come, so he's not looking to you know, stir up more trouble than he already has. So he leaves Judea for Galilee, which is in the northern part of Israel. So you've got Judea, Judea down here, from your perspective. You've got Galilee up here, and you have this region in the middle called Samaria. Now remember, Jesus was a Jew. And Jews, by and large, hated Samaritans. They really hated them. They viewed them as as religious half-breeds that were responsible for leading the charge, really, into pagan idolatry in the northern kingdom after the reign of Solomon. And many Samaritans had intermarried with foreigners, adopted pagan practices into the worship of Yahweh, and they rejected all but the first five books of the Jewish Old Testament. So they said, just the Pentateuch, everything else is not God's word. And they built their own temple on Mount Gezerim as a rival to the temple in Jerusalem. They did that in about 400 BC. And then around 128 BC, the Jews came up from Judea and burned the Samaritan temple down. So that's the enmity background. 
that Jesus is walking into here. They were not friends. Serious centuries of prejudice ran both ways. And some Jews, it was so bad, would even take a a longer, more circuitous route to get from Judea to Galilee just to avoid going through Samaria because it was unclean in their minds. But not Jesus. Look at verse four. John notes, and he, Jesus, had to pass through Samaria. Friends, that is more than a geographic necessity. That's pointing to something. That's alerting us to something, namely to the Savior's heart to seek after the lost. Jesus didn't do an end run around Samaria because it was inconvenient. He, He passed through Samaria because he had work to do in Samaria. And he and his disciples, they soon arrive outside the Samaritan town of Sychar, a well dug by the Jewish patriarch Jacob was just outside the city. And actually that well still exists. If you go to that part of the world, Jacob's well is still there. It's over a hundred feet deep. And Jesus, look at verse six, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. Isn't that amazing? Why, why do I say that? Well, be, because the, the one through whom and for whom the entire universe was created. Okay, the, the one who in that very moment was, was upholding, sustaining the universe by the word of his power was worn out from a long journey on a dirt road. I mean, Jesus, I thought he was a superman. Well, no. In fact, from the, from the moment he was conceived in Mary's womb, what, what did the eternal son of God do? He took to himself all the frailties and liabilities of human flesh, our sinful nature accepted. And so, so what does that tell us, friends? That, that tells you, that tells us that all the bodily challenges you experienced this week? Jesus has experienced. All, all the, the tiredness or weariness that you wrestled through this week and felt, Jesus felt. And so you can take heart in the promise of Hebrews 4.15, friend, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Right? Jesus' humanity, that the bodily nature that, by the way, he retains as the ascended Christ, was the real thing. And that, that's one more reason that you can come to him with confidence, friend. Not, not just with you know, soul troubles or spiritual troubles, but with bodily troubles. With physical troubles. Jesus gets it. He, he knows not just your heart, he knows your frame because he's been wearied too. That's comforting. And after his disciples head into town to buy food, 
a Samaritan woman comes to the well to draw water. Now let's just give a little bit more background here so we can understand what's going on. Women in her day typically came to draw water as a group that was safer and they usually did it early in the morning or late in the afternoon when it wasn't what? Blazing hot. That was customary. And so the fact that this woman comes alone in the middle of the day screams to the original readers of this gospel, she's a social outcast. She doesn't want anybody to be there. She doesn't want to see anybody. She doesn't want to talk to anybody. She's an outcast, which is confirmed later on in the story when Jesus reveals some of the details of her life history. And so when she approaches this well, Jesus does something that, that might seem innocuous or innocent enough in our own day and age. He, he asks her for a drink of water. But to her, that was a shocking request. Look at verse 9. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? I mean, why was she so surprised? Well, because with a single request, Jesus crossed not one, but three massive cultural divides in his day. So as a Jew speaking to a Samaritan, he what? He shattered the boundary of race. As a man speaking to a woman, he what? He shattered the boundary of gender. And as a respectable teacher interacting with what we will soon learn is an adulterous woman alone. <laughs> what did he do there? He shattered the boundary of social propriety. He did the sort of thing that people talk about later that day. To politely ignore her was expected. To actually initiate conversation with her was shocking. To then go beyond that and ask her to serve him. I think about this. With a drink of water from her jar, which was to what? The Jewish people? An unclean, ceremonially bad jar? That was scandalous. You don't do that. You, you just don't do that. You teach your kids to not do that. You don't do that. You hope you never see your grandkids do that. And that's why the disciples are later struck speechless when they return. And they see him talking to her. It, it, it's the exact opposite of what respectable people of Jesus' status were supposed to do. What should that tell you, friend? That screams something. John goes to great lengths to bring us in on that dynamic. That tells us that Jesus isn't good news for upper middle class white people who vote Republican and homeschool their kids and appear to have their life together. He, he is good news for all people. It doesn't matter what you've done or who you are. Jesus is eager to meet with you. 
Jesus is eager to engage with you, to talk with you, to draw near to you. He's the savior who shatters social boundaries. Embrace him. Don't, don't count yourself out from the kingdom of God, in other words, friend, simply because you feel like that woman radically unworthy. Here's the reality, okay? We are all unworthy. Some of us know it more than others. Some of us look like it in the eyes of the world more than others. Okay, but if the beginning of John 4 teaches us anything, friends, it, it just shouts, it screams, it's, it's fireworks going off. If you have ears to hear, eyes to see, that God's heart is not for a single race or gender or social class because an immoral Samaritan woman was the lowest of the low in Jesus' day. And yet, she wasn't invisible to the Savior who was upholding the universe by the word of his power. And, and exhausted as he was, Jesus made time for her. Jesus related with her. He, he didn't pretend to not see her. Do you do that, Christian? If you claim to be a follower of Christ, do you? Do you make a point of relationally engaging with people who don't look like you or live like you or believe what you believe or, or if you're honest, is, is your ministry focus strangely limited to exactly what you see in the mirror? Think about that. Jesus, notice, he didn't wait for the Samaritan woman to strike up a conversation with him. Right? He took initiative as one who was holding all of the privileged cards in that society to, to engage with a woman whose very namelessness reminds us of her social invisibility. And I encourage you, brothers and sisters, you, you don't need to move, to, you don't need to move to Africa, okay, to engage in that kind of cross-cultural boundary-shattering love. In fact, you can do it right here in Midlothian, and you can do it right here on a Sunday morning. Two examples. If you're a young white man, you can engage in conversation with an older black woman and find out how you can pray for her. <laughs> okay, if, if you're an older white woman, you can introduce yourself to a young Latino man, not because you know whether he speaks English or not, but because he's an image bearer of God. And you can find out even through broken English how you can pray for him. Okay, lo loving, think of it this way. We don't want to miss this. Loving people across the cultural barriers of our day. Okay, the most despised members of our society, the weak members of our society. That is not a liberal thing or a democratic thing. That is a biblical thing. It's, it's the mission of the gospel. 
It's, it's what compelled Jesus to speak to this woman. And if it compelled Jesus to speak to this woman, who is it compelling you to speak to, friend? Should be compelling you in some way to do the same. Because fueled by compassion, that the Savior who knows our weaknesses, he took initiative with this woman by inviting her to serve him at his point of need. There, there's nothing patronizing about it, you know? There, there's no sense of superiority here. What, what does Jesus do? If anything, he leads with his own vulnerability. So creating, the way he did, an opportunity for someone to serve you or to pray for you or to eat with you or to befriend you, especially when they would never expect it based on who you are and they are on the outside. That is a profound expression of biblical love. The first question we have to answer is, will we embrace the Savior who shatters social boundaries? Scene two. And I think we're only going to get to two this morning. (laughs) Scene two, Jesus extends an offer. So scene one, Jesus takes initiative. Scene two, Jesus extends an offer. Here's the question in scene two. Will you ask Jesus for the life he alone provides? Will you ask Jesus? It's a question, right? Will you, not someone out there, will you, friend, ask Jesus for the life he alone provides. The the Samaritan woman is astounded by Jesus' request for a drink and her response to his question only compounds, his response to her question just compounds her amazement. Look at how Jesus answers her in verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. I mean, you, you can just kind of sense at this point in the conversation, you know, wait, wait a minute. I'm not sure Jesus is primarily engaging with her because he needs something from her. It wasn't a screen. He was thirsty, right? It wasn't a fake out. Oh, I'm needing vulnerable. Not really. You are more than I am. Let me help you. No. <laughs> but you start to realize I think Jesus is engaging with her because she needs something from him. So so she comes to the well looking for a drink of physical water with a physical need. But but Jesus recognizes her deeper spiritual need. She she needs living water. She needs the water of of forgiveness and peace and joy that, that are only found in relationship with the triune God. That's the living water. And and we all need that, friends. But except, like this woman, many of us don't realize that. Think about it. All she can see initially, the awareness that circulates around her mind is a universe of material needs. And I don't think many of us are any different. You know, we we go through life fixated on our education. Got to get through college or or our job. Got to make some money or our house or our spouse or our health or our kids or our retirement. I mean, you name it. Are, Are any of those bad things? No, not necessarily. Are are any of those real needs? Are are all of them real needs? Absolutely. 
But, but all of those needs can, can blind us to, to a, a deeper spiritual need so quickly. And, and when that happens, we completely miss what Jesus ultimately came to give us. We, we see him at best as a vending machine for the material life we want. Or at worst, a threat to the material life we think we already have. And notice this, the Samaritan woman in verses 11 and 12, she makes both of those mistakes. First, she she questions Jesus' power. Verse 11, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. And the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Translation, I know my need, Jesus. I need water. And I don't see how you can possibly give that to me. Well, what is she doing? She's thinking of Jesus as a vending machine for her physical needs. And, and when she doesn't see how he can meet her felt needs, she sees little use for Jesus. I mean, do, do we not do the same thing, friends? The same thing. When we come to Jesus and, and require him to, to play in a tidy little box of our material desires, and then we evaluate and assess his power based on how he behaves in our little box. Yeah, I'm not sure you're faithful. Now hold us, stay in the box. Not, not sure you're able to provide. Yeah, lacking power. You know, but she also questions Jesus' wisdom. Look at verse 12. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. In translation, I know my need, Jesus. I need water. And it's already been met in full. I already have all that I need. So, so thanks for the offer, Jesus. But, you know, I'm doing great. Religion works for some people, not for me. We can fall into both those traps, can't we? Question is power. Question is wisdom. Praise God for his patience with us, friends. Look how Jesus answers both of her objections in verse 13. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. I mean, woman, I'm not offering to you. I mean, he just has to come out and say it, right? Like how much more blunt can he be? I'm not offering you physical water from the well in front of us or any other water that quenches a physical thirst temporarily. I'm talking about, I'm offering you a spiritual provision that can quench your soul, the thirst in your soul, the deepest longings in your heart eternally. That's what I'm offering you. I'm I'm talking about the satisfaction of knowing and loving God. And Jesus is borrowing here with this living water thing uh, from the Old Testament prophets, like Jeremiah and Isaiah, who who used water as a symbol of the spiritual life that only God can provide. Jeremiah 2.13, for my people have committed two evils. 
They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. What's that tell us? That everything we ask to satisfy our souls other than the Lord Jesus will ultimately disappoint you. And so the Lord exhorts us in Isaiah 55 verse one, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. And delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. Friend, God isn't just looking for your loyalty like some sort of obedient, get in line servant thing. He wants to satisfy your soul. He wants to give you joy. Because he made you to know him. You're you're hardwired for relationship with God. And that's the gift, the the living water that Jesus came to give you and Jesus alone can give you. He did that by what? By living the obedient life we were supposed to live and dying the death for sin we were supposed to die. And then what? Rising from the grave as the conquering king, proving that he'd accomplished all that's necessary to secure the blessing of eternal life with God. And so Jesus reminds this woman and us, you can't earn that, you can't buy that, you can't perform your way into that. That's a free gift received through faith in Jesus. And when you receive that, when when you drink of that water by faith, guess what happens? You you get a nice little get out of jail free card that you can pull out at the pearly gates and insert in that little spindle thing so you too can get into heaven. (laughs) No! (laughs) No! No, Jesus fills you with the life of God himself. Right here, right now. The the, the spring of water that Jesus promises in verse 14, what's that? That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. John 7, 37. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, Jesus says, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. John's teaching us here that Jesus is the one who grants us the gift of relationship with God, but experiencing the joy of that relationship, living in the good of that relationship, the life that's only found in that relationship, well, that comes through the work of the Spirit in our hearts. And guess how the Spirit does that? He does that by taking our eyes, spiritual eyes, and helping us to see Jesus and love Jesus. Because it's what? in Jesus, that God the Father has most fully revealed the glory of his goodness. So take heart in that, Christian. Through the power of the Spirit, you will never reach an end to the joy of life with God. It doesn't doesn't peak and then fade, like, like the joy of sex or the joy of good food. 
It's a never-ending spring welling up, as Jesus says, to eternal life. Now, now your experience, our experience of life in God, will what? Well, that will ebb and flow, right? Until the day the Lord returns, but that spring of water will never run dry. And so when you feel your need for more of him, when when your soul, as it were, feels dry, the, the Lord's invitation to us is the same. Luke 11, verse nine, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find Knock, and it will be open to you. What, what's Jesus saying? That whenever you sincerely and humbly come to him and ask him to satisfy your soul, the answer will always be what? Yes. Yes. I will gladly and freely and eternally satisfy your soul. He never says no to anyone who asks for that. The question is not whether Jesus is willing to give life. The question is whether we are willing to ask for it. J.C. Ryle says this, speaking of the Savior's invitation. The infinite willingness of Christ to receive sinners is a golden truth which ought to be treasured up in our hearts and diligently impressed on others. The Lord Jesus is far more ready to hear than we are to pray, and far more ready to give favors than we are to ask for them. All day long, he stretches out his hands to the disobedient and gainsaying. He has thoughts of pity and compassion toward the vilest of sinners, even when they have no thoughts of him. He stands waiting, See, see your Savior waiting right now, friend. Waiting to bestow mercy and grace on the worst and the most unworthy if they will only cry to him. What's John's point? This whole passage. No matter who you are or what you've done, Jesus is eager to satisfy your soul with the joy of worshiping the Father and the power of the Spirit. So don't don't keep running to a broken cistern front. Don't, Don't keep looking to an empty barrel, thinking that maybe after the fourth visit, it will finally give you water. Don't don't ask someone or something else to satisfy your soul. Look to Jesus. Cry out to Jesus. Ask ask him to give you life. Ask him to give you joy. Not not a joy that that ebbs and flows or turns on the tide of pandemics and human injustice or elections, but a joy that remains and, and abounds in all circumstances because it's what? It's rooted in the unchanging character of God and the life of the Holy Spirit. And as the Lord grants you that gift of living water, friend, do this. Remember, you are no more deserving of that than the Samaritan woman was of his mercy. That the chasm between a holy God and us as sinful man is infinitely greater than the chasm between a Jew and a Samaritan. And yet, that is precisely the gap Jesus crossed to save you. So follow his example this week. Engage with someone across a cultural divide. Look for an opportunity to be vulnerable 
with them in a way that they would never expect from you. And watch what the Lord will do. It's one of the most important ways that we hold forth to others the living water that we too have found in Jesus Christ. Embrace the Savior who shatters social boundaries and ask Jesus to give you the life he alone can provide. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would help us to do both of those things. Thank you for offering to our weary souls living water. Not just once, but every single day. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Lord, would you help us to ask right now? To look to you for the life you alone can give? And then to follow your example in humbly extending that same invitation through the power of your spirit to someone who would never expect us to talk to them. And in so doing, Lord, give us the privilege of showing this world what you are like. We pray in your name. Amen.